Hello and welcome back to the Everything Must Go podcast. I'm Steven and with me as always is Brandon bringing you another fantastic episode and Brandon is wearing his Minnesota Twins hat even though he's barely even an MLB fan at all. He has no he has no trash about Minnesota Twins, I bet. Well, Name two players in the team. We've done this before. <laughs> I know two players. Two players. Uh, Joe Maurer and Justin Monroe. <laughs> Joe Maurer retired. You lost. <laughs> We Justin actually Morneau did retire too. I know. I'm just <laughs> fucking around. We talked about this though. You asked me the other day why uh, I'm not as big of a baseball fan, and it's always been for me. I don't, even though I'm from Minnesota, that like I don't really care for the Twins that much. Like, I mean, if they're doing well, I'll root for them for sure. But um, I'm not. I don't actually have a favorite team. Like in, in the NFL, I love the Titans, and the NBA, I love the Timberwolves. Uh, but. Yeah, I don't know. I just never have been huge, a huge MLB fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, let's give uh, give people a little bit of a breakdown of what we're going to be discussing on today's episode. Well, I mean, it's who knows what we're going to be discussing. There's going to be lots of cool stuff. Uh, if you listened to our last episode, you saw it was a lot more freeformed, and uh, we enjoyed that. We enjoyed just being a couple guys having a having a dope conversation about whatever comes to mind but we do have a segment planned for today and that segment it's going to be pretty fun we are going to take uh a couple movies that steven and i have not seen we're just going to read the description and then we're going to have a little competition as to uh which one of us can get closer to the rotten tomatoes score for the movie so i'm looking forward to that and i also got made sure that steven downloaded spotify today yes so that's actually that's one of the things i wanted to talk about off the top here of this episode is so now that i'm officially moved into the uh the streaming world of music which probably should have happened about 10 years ago but you know (laughs) better late than never i am curious as to your path with music if we go all the way back do you remember how you were first exposed to music and do you remember like your first CD player and just all that type of stuff. Like, what what are some moments that stick out to you in terms of your uh, listening to music experience? So with me, I was a huge radio listener. Like, my parents listened to the radio. Uh, and we had a couple times where we were moving. Like, we lived in Coon Rapids, but then we were moving to Buffalo, Minnesota. It's like a 45-minute to an hour-minute drive. Or an hour-minute. A 45-minute <laughs> yeah. to an hour drive. And... Um, and like we would make that drive because our we were building a new house in Buffalo, and so we would make that drive like every morning before school to drop me off at school while we were waiting for the house to be completed. And I remember we would just listen to the radio on the way there and just jam out to, you know, the top forty tunes and stuff like that. So I really grew like, up on mainstream. Like what, what what time period is this? Just so I have an idea of like what was on the radio at this time. This is the '90s. So, like, we're talking, like, late 90s? This is, like, Backstreet yeah. Boy era and stuff? Yeah, like, the first CD that my parents ever got from me, I wanted, uh, I think I wanted a Backstreet Boys album, and they accidentally got me an NSYNC album. <laughs> How did they make that mistake? <laughs> I That's a, I mean, come on. maybe it wasn't a mistake on their part. Maybe they did it intentionally because they, like... <laughs> they were trying NSYNC. to sway you. <laughs> yeah, or something. Um, so, I, I, was, I was big on boy bands uh, real young, uh, the first CD I ever bought myself was the Pink Misunderstood uh, album. Oh yeah, but th- that just shows you what my like what I listened to it was the you know the Pink was huge on the radio back back then. I mean she's still pretty a big artist, but um, back in those days it was like her, Britney Spears, In Sync, Backstreet Boys, uh, 
Jessica Simpson, you know, those freaking artists, oh, those yeah. are all people that... And funny enough, I actually listened to country quite a bit when I was a little kid because my parents... I did not know that. Yeah, the classic country stuff like Conway Twitty. Uh, <laughs> no, really? Conway yeah. Twitty. My parents, uh, the song that they danced to for their wedding was uh, Long As I Live by John, John Michael Montgomery. I don't know if you've heard that song. No. It's super uh, I mean, cheesy. maybe I have, but super I'm not cheesy. familiar with country. What, what, what about you, though? Because I, I know we've talked about the Power Rangers theme got you into metal, but, I mean, was that really your origin into music? Uh, so when I heard that, I thought it was the most amazing thing ever. Like, I thought that was super cool. And then I really think that I, I was a big radio person, too. I actually used to like pop music. Pop music was my first real type of music that I actually knew something about. So I listened to Backstreet Boys, NSYNC. Uh, what, what else was big then? Uh, <laughs> actually, you know the I'm Blue, da ba dee da ba da So oh, last yeah. night I was listening to that because the music video, I, I, I'm telling you guys, you need to check it out. It has, it has aged beautifully. <laughs> it is it's so the funny. best age. <laughs> it's so ridiculous and so incredible. Definitely check it out. But I, I love pop music. And then um, <laughs> I'm trying to th- – I didn't really listen to cassettes. The only cassette that I have any experience with is um, back in the day at McDonald's, they would give away cassettes. I don't know if it was like a, instead of a Happy Meal toy. I don't know if one of them was a cassette. But I did have a cassette player that I would go into my room and listen to these McDonald's <laughs> cassette tapes. <laughs> I went through a period where I was pretty into this. I would like to sit in my closet and just <laughs> listen to these. <laughs> It was probably real weird in hindsight. My parents were probably like, "Yeah, our kids, uh, <laughs> our kid might be doomed." <laughs> Did you? Were you one of those kids that would, like, if you found a movie you'd like, you'd watch that movie like a billion oh, yeah. times over? You know the movie Heavyweights by any chance? I do not know that movie. It's it's a movie where these kids go to fat camp. <laughs> these okay. overweight kids go to fat camp. <laughs> That's like the whole premise That's of the movie. <laughs> I saw like 19 million times. I, I always abused every every thing i enjoyed back then i like whenever i got it like the pop music i listened to the same backstreet boys and sync albums over and over again same movies like i watched the movie little nemo so many times as a kid did you ever watch uh, baby geniuses uh, i don't think so because i i was watching a youtuber last night and he was he's like when i was a kid i used to watch this movie all the time i was like so did i i used to love that movie <laughs> the premise is so weird now looking back on it it's like these so the idea is that babies are incredibly intelligent, and the reason we can't understand them is actually because they use this ancient, like, foreign language that is, like, gone. It, we no longer have records of it, and they have all the secrets to the universe. But when they turn two years old, they lose that intelligence, and what they, it's called crossing over. <laughs> so, so it's like this science company is like housing these like orphan babies and trying to gain the intelligence from them. And one of the babies has a twin that they didn't know about and they get swapped by the science company and the family. And then one of the dads can actually understand the babies or something. It's so weird, but I used to love this movie and this guy did a review of it. And the reason I thought about this movie was just because when you talked about how the blue, uh, music video has just like the CGI in that music video is just it's incredible. So, it's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> baby geniuses. There are like fight scenes with the babies and adult people, <laughs> and they have it CGI, or it's like there's like a, a CGI head on top of a little person fighting these. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Yeah, I I have a a definite love of just horrible special effects. 
I absolutely love it. You, this is a funny thing about things that you're interested in. You definitely like things that are obviously like raw or imperfect. Like I, I it's yes. something I've really noticed about you. Like I would even say that sometimes <laughs> I feel like you will probably like my music less as I get better at producing it. <laughs> Because you just, it seems like you really like that rawness in, in things. Do you know what that comes I, from? I do. I wonder if it's like psychologically because I'm, I'm just not a perfectionist. I just never, I mean, I, I'm, I'm very, very hard on myself, but I just don't think that it's things are ever perfect. And I kind of like the, the, the flaws. Like I find something fascinating and I don't know, it might be because I feel like I was never really that good at a lot of things. So maybe part of me just finds an interest in those flaws because i like the flaws about myself i guess i don't know the psychology is interesting i think it's a great quality to have because i think i think it does let you have a certain perspective that maybe gets missed on when a lot of people are trying to overproduce things or you know whatever i mean i i definitely probably i mean you might even agree with this i would say that i'm probably more of a perfectionist with that stuff like i Mm -hmm. i I like to make things a very specific way especially when it comes to my art so that's going to be a good balance too i even like even thinking of us collaborating i appreciate that about working with you on things as we can give each other a little bit of that together no i i definitely agree and i think that a lot of people who ask me questions about YouTube, like, how do you come up with topics for videos? How do you stay motivated? How do you do all this stuff? And I'm like, there's absolutely no secret to this other than just not being afraid to fail and not being, or just recognizing that, yeah, when you put stuff out there, it's going to (laughs) suck. Like, and you have to be okay at being bad at things. I think that's a really, really important thing to learn in life is once you accept the fact that you're fine when you're bad at things, then you're... It, it takes all the pressure off. Like, well, it literally just takes all the pressure off you. And there's another perspective of e- even if it's not necessarily uh, you're bad at something, but just as an artist, a lot of times we get very territorial over our art and we want it to be perfect. But because you're a creative person, a lot of times you always feel like you can do something a little more or add a little difference to. Um, and I think there's something beautiful about just saying, okay, I created a piece that is full enough to just let go of i'm going to create something and i'm going to let go of it i'm going to share it with the world maybe it is something that i could have added a little thing here to make it better a little thing there but i think there's something uh really cool about getting rid of that uh ownership i mean it still is you're still like you are still the person that created it but letting it go and say hey you know, this it, there is not a actual perfection that I'm gonna obtain here. This is I'm just gonna create something and then share it with the world. I think that's that's really cool. Well, I think this is something I think about a lot. That's fascinating to me. Is so whenever I make a video, and I think that this this really has to do with anything that I do, I always realize that it could be better. And like in the sense of, could I have added more images? in my YouTube video to tell a more compelling story? Could I have spent more hours making perfect cuts to make it it, the most perfectly crafted video? 100%. Here's the thing. Even if I did that, people still (laughs) may not like the video. And there comes a certain point where, where do you draw the line on it's good enough? Because you could, and you hear musical artists talk about this all the time, when they write an album, 
they're like, yeah, you know, there's still a bunch of things I want to change. But there was a certain point where someone had to just cut me off and just say, it's good the way that it is. Because that's the truth. It is never, ever going to be absolutely perfect. And it is the beauty in those little imperfections sometimes that, to me, makes things iconic. Well, and it, it, it's also what is perfect other than what we create in our own minds. Like mm-hmm. a lot of times you just got to get out of your own head with that stuff and say, hey, I'm, I'm creating an expectation within myself that is never really going to be reached because I'm always going to feel like there's something more that I could do, even aside from how people are going to receive that because I think that's a whole nother monster. When we just talk about our own perspective on things, I think we need to recognize that this idea of perfectionism is really all in our own heads. We create whatever we think is perfect. So if you can recognize that that's something that you've made up yourself, maybe it allows you the the ability to uh, let go of that perspective a a bit and just be okay with sharing some stuff. And I think, you know, one of the things I appreciate just um, in, in the rawness is a lot of times you can see a little more of the, uh, the vulnerability or the emotion behind things. A lot of times when you get so produced, it's like, Oh, it's got to hit here, here and here. And it's technical and it's cool that they were able to pull that off. But, I mean, people even talk about this with, if you look at lightsaber duels, in the, not to bring it to Star Wars, but I think it's a, good, <laughs> it's a good analogy. Because people talk about how the prequel trilogy, it's so choreographed that it feels emotionless. Like, it's like a dance as opposed to, like, two people really trying to kill each other. And people like that about, like, the Force Awakens battle between Finn and Kylo. Like, that's two guys really not liking each other and just trying to rip each other's heads off. Or even Return of the Jedi, Luke losing his shit. And, you know, they're not like the... It doesn't look like they're incredible swordsmen or anything, but it's just this this raw passion behind it. And there is a beauty behind the being able to see that emotion and not necessarily having it so technical. Don't get me wrong. I love the choreographs. <laughs> Lightsaber duels too. I was waiting for some injected opinion from Brandon on, well, actually, even though some people don't like it, I actually think the prequel lightsaber duels are even better. Well, I, I like them both. I'm just saying they're, 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 I think you, this might even be a idea of, uh, letting go of what is perfection because I think either way you 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 tell a different story through how uh, you, you produce your content. Well, that's one of the things that I undoubtedly one of the main reasons why I've been so drawn to YouTube is it it feels like it is so cool that you can see people who are really famous and really successful and you can see them you know sort of at the mic like sort of just are under the spotlight or under the lights. You can see how they are putting on a performance, but it's so cool that you can also see that rawness of them just sitting in their bedroom, just talking at a camera. Like, there's nothing more raw than someone just sitting there talking at a camera. Like, for anyone who's never vlogged before or who's never really been in front of a camera, there is something about it that can be intimidating, but once you can sort of do it enough times where you feel just natural, it is a really cool feeling, and I love the the behind-the-scenes part of YouTube. I love seeing that I can just see a random stranger across the world talk about who knows what things I'll never see or I'll never experience in my life. And that's something that back in the day, TV was all a performance. And in a way, yeah, of course, YouTube is a performance per se, but it's, it's uncharted territories of rawness. And that's what really, really draws me to the platform. Well, and this reminds me of something that we talked about this morning. 
Uh, today, the day that we're recording the podcast, uh, Sunday, January 12th, is the five-year anniversary of one of the most raw videos on your channel, The mm-hmm. Truth About the College, uh, or the Disney College Program. And I'm just curious, like, looking back on that, obviously your stuff has become a lot more technical uh, since then. What What is it like to look back on that raw of a video, especially because it, it did receive, I guess, success in, in the terms of YouTube views? Yeah, that so I watched the whole video again yesterday, which I thought was it was pretty interesting because I have not watched the video from beginning to end and it's been a while. I don't know the last time that I did it. I probably watched that video maybe like once a year just to kind of remember it. So, it's weird to watch it because I've I've said before that I I was actually crying the the day of that video, like actually right before I pushed the uh record button on the camera. <laughs> I was and it's interesting to watch that video now because that mo- that the moment of making that video is literally what got me to become uh, invested in doing YouTube. Now, <laughs> I didn't really. It wasn't until years later that I really started taking it more serious and make- making a video once a week. But that was a big moment for me to actually. I started doing things for me and not for other people. Like I feel like that was like the real first turning point for me. And it is scary to record a video and put yourself on the internet. But I had been in a lot of videos before. I just, they weren't really my videos. They were other people's videos where I felt a lot safer and I didn't have to put my name on it. And this was the time where I really had to put my name on something that I completely created on my own. And that was a scary part for me. And that was when I finally stepped into this new chapter of life like, okay, I now am a creative and I have to own this as someone who never did before. I didn't know how to be a creative because I wasn't around that scene so much and uh it's really cool to see it like it 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 really it it hits me in a way just to be like hell yeah that was the moment did you feel like this was special because you talk about how this was a turning point for you did you feel like it was a turning point for you before you started seeing some of the external validation or or was that part of it too yeah no i a hundred percent when i while i was recording that I felt good. Not not good as in I felt like, wow, this video is going to be incredible. But I felt incredibly uh, liberated in this sense of like, wow, my entire life I feel like I've sort of done things for other people or didn't, I wasn't being true to myself or I was so afraid. And when I, like, when I recorded it and I sat down and I started editing it, I was like, wow, this is really cool. <laughs> like, this is scary. But people get to know me now. Like, I'm actually, like, being myself. Because nothing, literally nothing feels more good to me than being in front of the camera. Like, my entire life, I've always just enjoyed it so much. And it was, I don't know why I didn't do it earlier. I mean, I do know why. I could go into a lot of details why. But it, it was just like, all right, Stephen, yeah, you, you obviously enjoy doing this. But that's always the interesting feeling uh, of this, like, I, I think a lot of people who end up being successful or having these turning points in their moments do have this feeling of like the answer was right in front of me all along. Why, why wasn't mm-hmm. I just doing it from the from the start? Uh, but sometimes that's just not to get cheesy, but I guess life just kind of works out in that mysterious way where you figure it out when you figure it out. And so with yourself or with other people, a lot of times you need to be patient because you never know when that turning point is is going to arrive. 
And I, I do want to make another point on it as well, because I think that this is an important part to say. It's like that moment, as we've said, like that was five years ago. And I really didn't even start making YouTube videos weekly until towards the end of like 2018. So people might say like, well, how was that the turning point when you didn't really start changing? But that was the moment where things about me started changing. Like it took a long time um, to get to the thousand subscribers. It took me a long time to really hone in on what I was doing. Um, and I think that that stuff, you know, unfortunately it's not documented as well, but there was a lot of things that happened between those two points to get me to really step up my game. Well, that's the thing too, is, and this is something I've been mad about with myself sometimes is it, it's a, it's pretty hard to see that things internally are changing or things are in motion towards, I guess, where people are headed or changes being made. It doesn't all happen overnight. So a lot of times, um, you know, decisions can be made or, or just an attitude can change that will send you down the right path, but it takes a while to get down that path. And, and it, and even in our like human nature, we're still as we're headed down maybe this new, uh, more authentic path. There are times when we still fuck up, and we might do something that's uh, more characteristic of the quote unquote old us. But mm-hmm. I think uh, I think you're absolutely right that like that that makes sense that that was a turning point for you because even though maybe I guess logistically you didn't have your youtube channel figured out it was an ad a mindset difference for you where it was like wait a second i feel home doing this like internally i feel good about doing this stuff so whatever i end up figuring out from here i know that there's something authentic to what i'm doing in this which you know has set the tone for a lot of your your growth i mean i I feel like i don't know do you think you have like maybe an equivalent of some kind is there anything that you ever did creatively or is there a specific moment where you felt really down and you did something and you look back in hindsight maybe at the moment you didn't even put that much into it but you look back in hindsight and you're like wow that actually ended up being really important i mean i guess the easy thing is saying the podcast um because even even in my times when i was uh more committed to my music I think I was having such an internal battle about what it meant to pursue music as a career um, that even when I would like write my album or wrote the theatrical like it, it felt great and pieces of it felt like okay this something in here is what I should be doing um, it still felt like, yeah, but on top of this is all this business side of, of pursuing music as a career. So it didn't feel as good. But with a, with a podcast, I feel like it's uh, – how do I explain this? It, it's like a more broad thing where uh, we just get to come here and talk about ideas and thoughts. And I think it's allowed me to branch out of just this very specific – area of music like i want to i want to write skits with you i want to write skits on my own i want to possibly write screenplays possibly try to write books like i want to do all this stuff creatively because i know whatever ends up uh i guess uh solidifying i know that my creative mind is where i quote unquote belong and so the podcast i think you know as you know, um, came at a time for both of us where I think it was, 
very crucial to kind of rediscover at least myself creatively and uh, establish uh, a, a certain consistency or a certain thing that okay so I can do this with the podcast how does this work with with other stuff what 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 can I build off of this um, and you know whether the podcast ends up being you know the the big thing that ends up doing I guess something for us career-wise it I think it I'll always look on it as a foundation that started uh, thinking more clearly on my creative endeavors yeah it, it was the because the podcast is the thing that got me to start making a YouTube video once a week so that is sort of the thing that once I figured out how to do things more for myself I feel like once the podcast entered the picture I now knew what that next step was, which is I need to put more effort and, and more of my heart and soul into this and even care less about other people and just go for this because it it really is why I started making one YouTube video a week. And it's also just it's, – it's, it's weird because it is such a simple thing. You just sit in front of a microphone and you talk about something – but it expanded to so many other things outside of my life where I, where I had realized I wasn't putting enough of my efforts into it. I think even at my job, I started working harder. I think in the gym, I was working harder. I really, I really think it just it sort of snowballed everything after I figured out, whoa. Because uh, I, as I said, when we first started doing this, I was like, oh, man, this podcast, it's going to have to be biweekly. There's no way we can do a weekly podcast. Like I genuinely thought... I didn't have the time to do a weekly podcast when nowadays my goal in 2020 is not only a podcast episode a week, but also two YouTube videos a week, plus also a live stream. Like, it is crazy how much further I've been able to push myself, and I really think a big part of it is just that that taking that chance to start a podcast. Yeah, well, it got us out of our comfort zone a, a bit, and I think... That's that's the the beautiful thing with uh, just evolving as a person. And this isn't. It might sound like I'm just trying to talk us up a bunch, but I just think it's a it's a good uh, look at how things can progress. We we put ourselves in an uncomfortable like we were doing three episodes a week for a couple yeah. times in 2018 and stuff, and it was like holy crap, this is a lot of stuff, but we pushed ourselves and allowed us to, I think, branch out in different ways. And now it's established a, a routine that just like you said, it's, it's a lot yeah. of stuff. Uh, yeah. It showed, it showed we could do it. That exactly. was what was important from it. Yeah, exactly. And um, so it's, it's exciting. And I think, you know, going back to, to, to my journey with this stuff, it's interesting because music for me, and I, I mentioned this briefly on uh uh, previous podcast, I don't remember which one, but uh, music for me, in a way, did start because of external validation. So, uh, you know, I performed at a talent show at my school, and people loved it. And uh, like I, like I learned that song and wanted to do that song, like "Come Home" by Winter Public, because I, I really wanted to finally learn how to play piano. But that external validation became somewhat of a motivator for me. And I think what the podcast allowed me to do was at this time we weren't necessarily taking the podcast super seriously when we first started we were just like hey we want to work at all (laughs) we wanted to work on a creative project together let's do a podcast and what it allowed me to establish again was because i was really afraid of 
being a person who craved attention. I like started mm-hmm. to hate that part of myself because I do. I like attention. I do like that external validation. And so I, I started to shy away from that part of my personality. And I think um, the podcast allowed me to find that I can have both. Like I can do something that I really care about and still get attention for it. I don't know if that entirely makes sense, but it was it was kind of a merging of, okay, I actually am a person who likes attention. So why am I just shutting that part of myself off? Like that's part of what makes entertainers entertaining um, is they, they put themselves out there to in a way that will get them attention and they, they uh, can get fuel out of that. But it's also like, yeah, but what do I really want internally? What do I really want to work on? What do I really want to do? And so uh, all of these creative things ended up kind of molding into this, this new path, so to speak. Uh, it, yeah, it's a tough time, or I, I, it's, I think it's a tough time for people to draw the line on, man. Am I? Do I care too much about attention? Do am I? Am I too selfish? Am I a narcissist? All these things. I mean, when I go walk about in downtown Chicago, and I just have people like record me, and or I record myself, and I'm vlogging, it's like, wow, Stephen must have a big sense. I feel like I'm talking to third person a lot in this episode, <laughs> but uh, it's. Wow, Stephen must have a um, a real sense of entitlement, or he must have a real sense of of self importance. And yeah, of course that crosses my mind. There, and it, it it probably will always cross my mind to a certain extent. But it's also just like, I mean, what what is the alternative? Like, you might as well love yourself. It it really comes down to it. When you love yourself, you're just in a much better place. You. You think clear when you do things because you want to keep yourself in a good mindset. Like, obviously, you could take it too far, and people take it too far all the time, and it's a good time, or it's a good idea to occasionally check in on yourself. But if you're serious about becoming an entertainer, or you want people to see the the art or the, the work that you're putting out there, you kind of just have to get over it to a certain extent and just accept the fact that maybe the way that you are happy maybe society might have some negative connotations toward it, but society has had negative connotations toward so many things over the years. And they're, they, they change all the time. Like back in the day, literally there was a huge time period of just the men worked in the women stayed at home. And now if you think that that's the way you're supposed to live your lives, it's like a negative connotation. Yet it was so widely accepted very, very recently in human history. And it, it just, why why care this much about other people? Ultimately, if you're happy and you feel like you can have an impact, I'd say just go for it. Yeah. That's how I've been feeling about it now cuz I needed to find a way that I didn't just beat myself up over it. I I just don't care anymore. <laughs> well, but let me ask you cuz mine was more it wasn't even about like how people perceived my desire for attention. It was just something that I didn't like in myself that I liked that attention that I liked that external validation. Did you, mm-hmm. did you like have that battle within yourself? Yeah. But like- so, so yeah. So, but, but part of that, the reason why I even bring up the other people is because I wonder how much of that is just people have embedded that thought in my mind that I should feel that way. So I, I kind of question that within myself, like, man, I haven't been feeling bad about this, but maybe I should be feeling bad about this. And I'm wondering if that was part of how I got myself to feel so negative towards having this mindset of being overly selfish or, you know, having too much of my own interest in mind. And I just don't, 
I, I just don't know. I, I, I think you obviously have to check in on yourself, but how are you really going to be successful if you don't have a little bit of that in you if you're trying to be creative in one way or another? Yeah, because you have to share it eventually, and that's going to bring on some sort of external um, attention. So, yeah, definitely. I, I think that it was definitely something I had to come to grips with, um, you know, this battle of, okay, I don't like this in myself, but wait, why why don't I – uh, you know, should I should I be more okay with it? But I think uh, another big point that you mentioned is there. With a lot of things in life, there has to be balances, and I think having those check ins, so having a good support system, um, to be like, hey, you know, you you are letting these outside sources maybe impact you too or influence you too much. Uh, we've talked about that a little bit with just YouTube in general. Uh, you know, thinking about what kind of content we're gonna make. Do, do we completely design all of our content around what's going to, you know, get us big? I mean, you have to have a little bit of that if you end up wanting to be successful, but it's also like, mm-hmm. but you want to be able to sustain this life. You want to be able to sustain the desire to keep doing this. So you also have to do what you want to do. Uh, so it, there's a huge checks and balances within that. And I think it's important to pay attention to. And if it gets carried away within yourself, I think that's where your support system can definitely come into play and just help get you out of your own head with that. Well, I, I think it's just funny that people always say like, well, well, like they just love attention or they just want attention. Like as if it's this just horrible negative thing when we all know that a lot of people it's it's nice to get attention. If if attention, especially, isn't a positive attention, who generally hates positive attention? I feel like oh, most people like it to a certain extent. Yeah. Well, it's also too that gets into a place where if you're going to accept the positive attention, th- there's almost a responsibility to also re- receive the negative attention with a certain amount of grace. Like some of it's just you know, jealousy or just people being trolls or, you know, it it can be a combination of other things. But if people give you, uh, you know, criticism on stuff, if you, if you're going to take all the positive stuff, why aren't you able to take some of the negative as well? So keeping an open mind with that, I think is, is definitely important. I don't think you want to let it bleed into a point where it changes who you are or what you're striving towards, but at least maybe having an open mind to consider, what what is being said which is something that you've definitely talked about like you try to at least listen to what somebody might say even if it doesn't seem true to you you'll try to see if maybe there is an an ounce of truth in what people are saying i think that's a a good mentality to have because i don't think you can have it both ways or it's like oh i'll take all the good stuff but any of the negative stuff that stuff is wrong only the good stuff is true all the bad stuff is bullshit (laughs) <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I listen. I listen when you all are talking trash on me or you're saying that uh, I don't understand jokes in my hastily made Cleveland t- tourism video <laughs> reaction. <laughs> <Scary>. <laughs> that I don't understand jokes. No, I, 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 read, your com- I read those comments. Sorry. <laughs> Scam won't let this go. This is, I'm being your support system saying you need to let that go. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, let it. What's it? Let it go versus what's it? Standing up for yourself. What is it? Standing up for yourself versus letting go. Yeah, call back. Dude. What episode number was that? Oh, gosh, dude. There's too many episodes. We now. need to memorize all of our episodes. We really do need to memorize all of our episodes. It's like, uh, it's funny because you, you see, like, uh, people are fascinated by NFL coaches who are able to recall plays from, like, random games at random times and stuff. We need to be that, yeah. but for the podcast. Be like, oh, yeah, that was <laughs> minute 23. 
Oh, oh no, dude, episode. that would be pretty crazy. <laughs> I'm pretty good with numbers. Maybe if I set my, I feel like this is one of those things. If I set my mind to, I could probably be pretty good. You need to step it up, dude. Uh, dude I, you, I memorized Mathematical Pie, dude. I think I can memorize this. Do you? Uh, speaking of that, because that was one of uh, the movies that I almost put on our list here. Do you want to? You want to do our movie segment? Yeah, yeah. I figure uh, it's probably a good time. Let's get let's get into it. All right, here we go, folks. Okay, so <laughs> to, to, to pro- provide more context, I, I explained it a little bit before. I have taken five. Uh, we might add more onto this uh, as we go along, but I have taken five uh, movies that Stephen and I have not seen. They're from different uh, different years. Um, that we just have the descriptions and based off of the descriptions and title of the movie alone we have to guess their rotten tomatoes score and whoever is closer wins the round are you ready for this steven let's do it what 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 does the winner of the entire game win uh you get one extra point the next time we play basketball (laughs) (laughs) perfect sounds good all right so the first movie is called Eraserhead. It is from 1977. This movie has, uh, or this movie description says, Henry Spencer tries to survive his industrial environment, his angry girlfriend, and the unbearable screams of his newly born mutant child. What what okay. score do you think this says? All right, so, so what's interesting about this is I have... No idea if these movies are overall low rated. I don't really even have any expectation to these percentages. And my logic behind the scores I'm gonna choose is pretty much nonsensical, but that's okay. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna work through it. So for some reason when I saw the title of this one, it feels kind of like a important title. So I, I feel like this is a high percentage. A high ish percentage. Maybe not like Maybe like like ninety nine percent, but I think that this one is pretty high. So I I think I'm gonna say ninety five percent for this one. Ninety five percent for Eraserhead. <laughs> yeah, I think head. this is a really really good movie, uh, dude. I feel like I would have heard about it if it was ninety five percent. I don't know. Give... I think this is like I think this is like you know movie. This is like it's like Get Out before Get Out. That's why I feel like this movie. Is. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm gonna you give, know I'm gonna give this an eighty percent. I'm gonna be way like more very... conservative. And Steven, I don't know. I just feel like this is a little like the, the plot itself is a little uh, weird. Not that weird movies can't be uh, well that's received, what I'm saying. but I'm just dude. Get Out was a weird movie. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Does Get Out have ninety five percent? It's got over ninety. It's got like I forget like I really like ninety eight percent or something. Yeah, but Get Out's like speaking to something culturally. I don't I don't know that Eraserhead is speaking to anything <laughs> culturally. I mean, you are right about that. All right, let's look it up. The moment of truth. Eraserhead has a. Come on, fucker! <laughs> oh no, it's not loading. Hold on. Oh, you hate this. You hate it, dude. Our plans are all thwarted right off the start. I could look it up if it's absolutely not working. It says 404 not found. Sorry, please try again later. No. This movie actually never existed. All right, all right, I'll look it up. I got it up and oh, ninety <laughs> percent. What did I say? Uh, you said eighty. All right, you win. I got it. He gets so. round one, dude. Baby. I felt really good about this one. This one felt 
I'm telling you, this felt like a really good movie. And and so I, pretty much I was right about everything I said on this one. And uh, I, we are basing this <laughs> what, off of... What, you were right about everything you said? <laughs> what? Yeah, it literally says in here, this was a get out before get out. Read the movie info down here. Oh, that's interesting because I can't pull it up, so I can't uh, <laughs> confirm or deny. Oh, okay. Then I'm just, you know, I'll just tell you, I'll tell you what it says. It says... This movie was one of the best of the time. People were sleeping on it. Better than Get Out. but, but <laughs> Better than Get, Get Out. Out, but it has a 90%. <laughs> what are you talking <laughs> But there was a little bit of controversy with the title being Eraserhead. So they gave it less percent than Get Out. You, you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you're yeah, so the next one? Yeah, a solid one. Yeah, dude, so far, one point, Steven. One point to Steven. All right, next one. I don't even need this point in basketball, let's be honest, but I'll take it if I get it. <laughs> That's weird because I'm uh, pretty sure last time I kicked your ass. <laughs> All right, next one is Natural Born Killers. It was made in 1994. It stars Woody Harrelson, who we know and love. I guess I don't know if yeah. you love him. But, uh, two victims of traumatized childhoods become lovers and psychopathic serial murderers irresponsibly glorified by the mass media. Okay, so this this one seems pretty easy to me. So the 90s was clearly an, an era that people really embraced um, murderers, uh, serial, serial killers and stuff like that. So I think that this just perfectly fit in with what the society was looking for at the time. Just uh, really reflected the, the, the culture. I'm going to say that this movie got a 94%. Okay. I'm going to say that this movie was a little too edgy for everybody to receive in the 90s. <laughs> and because of that, even though it was a great movie of the time, some people were a little thrown off by, by the <laughs> psychopathic serial murderers. Uh, so I'm going to give it an 88%. And we'll see who wins this we'll See one. if your internet works this time. <laughs> by the way, we're doing the, um, not the audience one, right? We're doing the other, the other side. Uh, I, is that what we want? We want the tomato meter, not the... Yeah, I think tomato meter, yeah. All right, so this got a 47%. <laughs> Audience score was eighty one percent, so I I win on this round. Okay, I mean yeah, I, so. I don't even really feel that great about this round because I was so so off, but technically <laughs> I'm closer. So yeah, I, I see. I think I think the audience is more indicative of how now, society you know what, is. This really. is funny. <laughs> this is funny that this became a rule because go back to the last one that we did. What was the uh, what was the audience score of that last one? Because I'm guessing I won based on the audience score. Yeah, it was 83%. Yeah, it was you audience. Yeah, but no, Now we hear the fucking truth, dude. Yeah, but we got to do tomato meter. No one ever cares about it. The audience one is all over the place. <laughs> this motherfucker, dude. Anything to win. Unbelievable. Audience is all over the place on this one, so, so we got to go. All right, we got to go tomato meter. <laughs> oh, my gosh. This is fucking classic. All right. Number three. So it's tied one-to-one here. Mm -hmm. Tim and Eric's billion-dollar movie. This is from 2012. Two guys get a billion dollars to make a movie, only to watch their dream run off course. In order to make the money back, they then attempt... What the fuck is this word? (laughs) What is this Oh, to revitalize a failing Uh, shopping Yeah, dude. I think there isn't a space, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I copied it off of the site, yeah. so I guess it's a typo. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
they then attempt to revitalize a failing shopping mall. Okay, so what what what's your prediction here? Okay, I feel like everything about this movie seems disastrous. One, it, it okay it the title of it it seems like it's trying to do like Harold and Kumar White Castle kind of title here, but it feels like it's like the the worst version of it. So it's like someone who wants two percent milk, but they get skim milk. I feel like that's kind of that's how I equate this. Uh, I also think that the shopping mall part of it, it seems like maybe that was like a decade too late for that to be something really people bought into. And um, I just feel like the suspension of of belief or disbelief just seems to equate to the... uh, I'm going to say this is is 17%. (laughs) 17%. 17%. This movie is trash. I can already tell. Well, uh, here's what I'll say right off the top. Okay. So this movie would obviously be way better if it was Tim and Gentry's billion dollar movie, <laughs> but because it's Tim and Eric's, it That's obviously is make. not going to be as successful. Uh, billion dollars <laughs> to make a movie only to watch their dream run off course. Here's the thing. 2012 was all about dreams running off course because we thought it was going to be the end of the world. So I feel like this actually was more par for the course of the time period. <laughs> We, we definitely thought that everything was coming to an end, so it makes sense that a movie about things not going well would do well. I'm going to give this movie a 47%. <laughs> so you still think it's like below average, too? Yeah. <laughs> well, just because we're going off of the critics, critics usually don't see comedies as... I'm, I guess I don't know if this is a comedy. It sounds like a comedy. <laughs> no, this is it's a serious drama. <laughs> this is a drama. <laughs> well, what's also interesting about it is that you always go second, so it's like... Are you, you know, what are you, what are you doing with your, are you, are you basing, are you just trying to beat me? Is that how you're coming up with your scores here? We could switch it up. I don't fucking care. All right, so this no. one, 36%. So I'm closer. What am I, 11 to, what did you guess? I said 17. I really wasn't too optimistic on this one. 30. <laughs> the audience score is 47%. I got the audience score exactly right. Oh, dude, you just... In your photographic mind, you just read the wrong column. I feel you. I got you, yeah. Yeah. No, to be just so our audience doesn't believe what Steven just said, I did not look up any of these scores before we went. See, I don't know that for sure, so don't don't go to me. I can't validate that. He can neither confirm nor deny. That is true. Do you want to read yeah. the next one, or you want me to keep reading these? Dude, I, I, you're a really good reader, dude. Okay. The next one is Akira. It is from 1988. A secret military project... In, I think this is in dangers, not in dangers. <laughs> what is with all these spelling mistakes? Dude, here? I must got this off a bad site, dude. <laughs> Was this from Pornhub? I don't remember. Uh, okay. <laughs> a secret military project endangers Neo-Tokyo when it turns a biker gang member into a rampaging psychic psychopath who can only be stopped by two teenagers and a group of psychics. Wow. So I guess I'll go first since you. Uh... Oh yeah, yeah, okay. So, uh, see, the '80s were all about teenagers being being the heroes here. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles first came out in the '80s. Uh, you had all of these like sixteen can what sixteen candles came out. I think the Breakfast Club was from the '80s. It was all about uh, teenagers being the heroes of the show. So I do think. That for the time period, this this makes sense. Neo Tokyo also seems um, appropriate because I'm thinking of like the Blade Runner vibe. Um, 
I'm gonna give this movie. Uh, I'm gonna give this movie a seventy-five percent. Dude, yeah, I'm. I'm a little. Oh, hold on. All right. So my initial thought was negative. Then I was getting optimistic, and now I think I'm getting a little negative again. I'm going to say, so you say 75, so I just want to, so I'm going to say 74%. Dude, this is fucking, <laughs> that's not entertaining at all. Give, give, give a fucking description of why you Okay, okay, 70. I'll, you know what, this is how confident I'm going to be you regardless, because I, I think I know this, I think I know this movie. I think this movie got a 79%. So now you're above me? Yeah, I think it's 79%. What, what's your reasoning? Well... I feel like you're right. It does feel like a movie that was what people were looking for at the time. I feel like the title of it is just kind of simple and catchy, and I feel like that a lot of times are better movies. And I also feel like um, that it's kind of weird, but it could be weird in a good way. All right, so what's your final answer? 79%. All right, you won. It's 89%. (gasps) Ooh! Yes. Audience score is ninety percent. I'm kind of interested in this. Oh, this. Oh, it's an animated movie. Dude, obviously. Why is that obvious? You can just tell. <laughs> this could never be anything other than an animated movie. <laughs> All right. So Steven has now taken the lead here. Dude, I'm getting pretty good at this. Actually, no. I think it's even, isn't it? Uh. Oh yeah, it is. Two to two. <laughs> so this is. This for, dude can't do math. I, I thought we were at number three. My bad. Um, okay, so this one's for all the marbles. All right, number five, Uncle Boon Me, who can recall his past lives. This is from 2010. Uh, Uncle Boon Me was dying of kidney disease. I actually don't know if that's actual Uncle Okay, so the description is dying of kidney disease. A man spends his last somber days with family, including the ghost of his wife and a forest spirit who used to be his son on a rural North Thailand farm. Nobody needed this movie. (laughs) This is the movie that nobody needed when it came out. I think people, as soon as they saw this title, I think they were like, I don't even know what the backstory of someone with the last name Boon Me would be. But even like Uncle Boon Me, who can, can recall his past lives... Even grammatically, it seems a little, a little weird. Um, I think that this movie was disastrous. I think the people who made this movie stopped making films after Holy they made crap, this movie. <laughs> I, I literally think this was they stopped making films after. I think that there was not a single actor in this movie who went on to do much of anything because they just they had a tough time recovering from the failure of it. And I think that. Uh, this movie lives on with a 11% on Rotten Tomatoes. 11%? <laughs> You're going that brutal, huh? Yep. I don't think many things get 11%. Are you sure that's the score that you want to go? <laughs> it, it, dude, it was that bad. It just didn't... It just The, the vision just did not, did not come to fruition here. He, I'm going to go the exact opposite route, okay? See, hipsters started being a bigger thing around 2010. And I think that this was the time for, like, more obscure, kind of creative uh, directions in telling a story kind of became, I guess, more mainstream. 
uh, even though the hipsters try to act like they're not mainstream, but they all group together and <laughs> it's the it's the kind of like, oh, we're not conformists, but we're going to be over here conforming with all of us that aren't conformists. So I think this movie uh, told a heartwarming tale and it did it in a creative uh, direction that uh, tugged at people's heartstrings. So I'm going to give this movie an 80%. Dude, that seems pretty bold. I guess we'll find out. <laughs> For all the marvels. One. I, really, I really bought into the narrative here. All right, here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, we have our winner, Uncle Boonmi, who can recall his past lives, has an 89% on Rotten Tomatoes, making Brandon the ultimate champion of our segment today, and he gets an extra point in the next basketball game between Steve. Yeah, but but you get how I got to my score, because I I, 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 so I, I was thinking how many percent away from 100. And I said 11. Oh, got you. Except, so that, that's what I had meant. Except you talked a bunch of shit about how the people who made this movie are probably not doing movies anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, what do you know? Another thing that I beat Steve I, I I just wanted you to win because I'm, I'm, I'm an underdog, remember? So I like having a, oh. a, a stronger narrative here. <laughs> so you can take your point. It'll be that much yeah, better dude, when I you're win. you're just like Tom Brady. You're a big underdog. I'm like Tom Brady. I'm a big underdog here. <laughs> oh, well. Can The real question, can Steven recover from a segment, or is he going to be nothing but laughs and giggles now? Well, I actually have a topic I want to discuss if you uh, Let's hear it. are ready to go into it. Dude, I'm super ready. Let's hear it. Let's take a deep breath here. Let's, let's get off of the segment. There we go. Okay. I think we're good. Okay. So I've been playing this game lately called Fallout 4. Have you heard of it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, wait, yeah, yeah, Fallout 4, yeah. Okay, so a big part of the main quest line in Fallout 4 is a moral dilemma that you are kind of given as a character. Uh, there is this place called the Institute. So there was, there was a huge war uh, with a nuclear bomb that went off. You were in a vault underground, so you were able to survive it, and you were, like, cryogenically frozen. But you wake up 200 years later, and you go to the surface... Some things have happened, um, but the world is way different. There's a lot of radiation, poisoning, all that good stuff. But anyways, there's this place called the Institute. It's a scientific place that people don't know much about because it's like somewhere underground. Nobody knows what's going on with this place. But they are so technologically advanced that they have created these robots called synths. And these synths are so similar to humans. They like have human flesh and they are able to develop free will, okay? Now, this question isn't necessary for specifically Fallout 4, but in the idea of a future where robots are created that can become sort of sentient beings, where they are able to develop free world and e- uh, free world, free will and emotions, and uh, you can't really tell them apart from actual humans, do you think that they should be seen as art, like, act- just separated as artificial intelligence they aren't on the same level as humans or do you think that they should be treated as human so in this example these robots like if you physically hurt them they'll feel pain they can be sad about things they are they 
the exact same capacity to feel things as a human? Some of them develop that, yes. So they, so what happens is a lot of times the reason people are afraid of the institute is because a lot of times you can't tell if a person is a human or a synth because they're they end up developing the same characteristics as humans and it scares people because then people don't know what to believe so the institute would like swap out actual people with synths so before they were their human selves and now they are these synths and there is one situation where a a wife knows that her husband is different because he's better than he used to be as a person so there is a certain ounce of perfectionism with with like robotics like there is like they are just because they're programmed in a certain way i guess they can be better versions of humans but in general uh the if these humans are kept away from the people who supervise their programming they are able to uh, if these synths are kept away from the people who supervise their programming, they are able to develop the same characteristics as human, the same free will, the same emotions, the same physical pain, all that stuff. What would you have to do to find out if they're not a robot? Like, if you ask them, will they tell you if they're a robot? So a lot of the uh, ones in this game don't know that if they're human or if they're robots. Oh, no, that really makes this tough. So you go into, you actually go into a town at one point this town is so freaked out about this this synth thing that this guy thinks that his brother has been replaced with a synth and he decides that he's going to he holds him up at gunpoint and says i know you're not my real brother and he's going to kill him and uh the only way because they're like some of these synths they get away from their programming and they're able to have a memory wipe and that memory wipe basically makes it so they don't know that they were a synth in the first place and so the the only way that you would actually know that they are synths is if you like broke them open and saw that they aren't human like their insides are robotics so you could break them open (laughs) yeah but can you imagine doing that and it's like oh nope never mind you just didn't know well that's I think what happens in that specific scenario I was talking about is they end up shooting the guy and when they kill him they blow his head off and he actually is a human instead of a synth so he he just got blood and guts all over the top oh you hate that that's a definite case of you hate to see it you hate to see it so what do you think do you think you accept these synths as sentient beings or what this is so twisted. <laughs> I don't, initially, I was like, no, I don't accept these. But it's like, I don't know. I mean, it's pretty much just a human. Um, man, I want to. The fact is, the problem is you can't differentiate them. If there's legitimately no way of differentiating them, then I almost feel like you have to just treat them like they're humans. Well, there are some synths that are obviously synths, but the ones that get the memory wipe, because there's there's this there's this faction called the Railroad, and they believe that synths should have the same rights as humans because they have the capacity to develop those same human characteristics. So they allow for these synths to uh, have the memory wipe so they don't know that they're synths and so that synths are allowed to create normal lives. And so you have this you have this battle between the institute who who thinks of synths as robots. They say these these robots are 
technically programmed and when they're supervised correctly, this stuff doesn't happen to them. They're supposed to do a certain thing. We we created them. You know, they're designed as artificial intelligence. And then you have the railroad that says, yeah, but they are so technologically advanced that they can actually develop the characteristics of humans if you allow them to. And they can live free lives away from slavery because the synths are kept as robotic slaves to the Institute. So it's this moral dilemma that you as the main character have to go through is, do I side with the Institute and real and just say, yeah, I get that they can develop this, but technically they're robots? Or do you side with the railroad and say, but they are capable of being very human, so allow them to be human? Well, let me ask you this. You had to make these decisions, so what type of decisions did you make in-game well, here? Let's hear this. I've played through the game <laughs> twice, and I've tried both. So, oh, yeah? Which one worked that better in the game? Um, well, so the most recent playthrough, I did the Institute, because I figured, so you become the leader of the Institute if you follow that path. So I figured if I become the leader of the Institute, maybe I can be a little more freeing to the synths. I can let them live more free lives. I don't have to uh, submit them to slavery. Um, but with the railroad, you literally blow up the Institute because they're enslaving uh, synths. So I, I guess with that in mind, I would say that I allow the leniency to view if if the synths were uh, like they had like the memory wipe or they were off living their free lives i was okay with that go ahead live your free life do your thing as a human that's okay but if they were programmed and they were supervised as the robot they would be treated as robots so i guess i kind of had best of both worlds in my mind it's just it's such a tough question to answer because like if if it's a robot it really is a robot then i don't have any investment in it like i just genuinely don't like it's just a robot we just built something, whatever. But if you can't even prove if it's a robot, and it pretty much, it feels everything, it, it's tough. Yeah, it's honestly, it's tough too, because I, I'm not even gonna deny the fact that like, I worry about how I answer this question in terms of someone being like, wow, Steven's a terrible person. Like finding some way to equate how I feel about his robots Mr. in this game. You can't care about what other people think. Now you're you're holding back from saying something because you're worried that people are gonna think you're a bad person for this fictional scenario. Because <laughs> it's it's such a weird Just scenario. Be, give an opinion here, pal. What's the point of this? Okay, my, my opinion is I don't I just don't care if you're a robot. If you're a robot, then you don't you mean nothing in this. But then wow, watch you robots in the that? future. Steven's a yeah, bad guy. <laughs> robots in the future are going to listen to this, and they're going to be one of the first people they go after. Robots are going to make me their leader, and then I'm going to order them to kill you for being so mean to robots. <laughs> exactly that. That is that is the concern: is that robots will not be not be digging me. I won't let the They'll be like, we must destroy Stephen Russell B. He will be destroyed. But that's the thing. These synths talk like regular people a lot of times. They don't even sound like that. Yeah, see, that's that's the tough part. Robots need to look different. Okay, so here's here's a couple things to maybe add to this perspective. It is dangerous because if the synths break free from the, the slavery that the Institute puts on them, there is a chance that they are taken by a certain faction that can program them 
So, for instance, there is one synth who gets taken by a gang of raiders, and these raiders program him to be their leader. Yeah, that's the scary part, is what robots don't have as, the same limitations as humans. Exactly. So he, he becomes this powerful leader of the raiders, and you have to go uh, basically capture him. Um, now, if you say a certain code, he just automatically, it's like a factory reset. But uh, unless you're able to do that, he can run a group of raiders. But at the same time, you also have this group of the railroad who memory wipes them and lets them uh, develop very, uh, like, like they send off synths to live good and honest lives. So you have both, yeah. both ways. It's, I mean, it's just like being a human, I guess. You have you know, two paths that you can go down, so. Yeah, I, I, I'm against the robots in this. Sorry, future robots, if you hear this and you're like, aha. So even the synths who seem, who have had the memory wipe and they're very human in their. They, like, they can't be, tr- who, who knows what's going to happen. I, I don't, I don't trust any of these robots. Okay. I just think it's, it's a dangerous path to go down. Someone, someone is going to use the robots for evil. It's inevitable. And I'm not, I'm not messing with it. Interesting. I'm, ag- I'm against it. Yeah. All right. So you would have sided with the institute then to keep the robots <laughs> as robots. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I don't know. Maybe I could change my mind, but as of right now, that's the uh, that's the side I'm feeling. Well, well, to be fair, that's a very it, it is an actual like scientific, logical, uh, I think, moral decision, and the mm-hmm. the institute has created all these technological advancements that will allow them to create a better future for the world. So even if you don't uh, morally agree with the Institute, I think one of the dilemmas is you understand that the Institute has the capacity to to rebuild a world where that has been destroyed previously. And uh, that's that's another... Very- yeah, I'm for the betterment of, of humankind. That's what it comes down to. You're just great. Steven's got great guy syndrome. <laughs> Yeah, I really do, actually. It's pretty incredible. Uh, do we want to talk about anything else before we just talk about other things? <laughs> no? Do we want to talk about anything okay, else? Let me, okay, let me, let me ask you something, then, before we we do anything else. You're moving to Chicago really, really soon, and I think it'll be cool to go back and listen to this at some point. What is going through your head today? Just kind of short to the point. What are your just like your gut feelings on this whole thing, and uh, how's, how's it how's it feeling in this exact moment? Um, it's hmm. a good question. It's a um, it's it's both an excite. It's like an ex- an excited scared because I really have no idea what this is going to be like. You know, I I don't know how it's gonna impact uh my my day-to-day life like what's it going to be like living in a city after living in rochester how is my dog going to handle it uh what's it going to be like you know working with you finally in the same place um because i think everything's going to go well but you never know (laughs) you know maybe steven and i will end up hating each other um i don't i definitely don't think that but you never know and uh so there are things that are so unknown that it can be uncomfortable and 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 scary and um somewhat stressful but at the same time i'm so pumped to 
like I've for a long time I wanted to live in Chicago. So to finally say that I'm actually doing this now, like this is becoming really real. I was telling Steve and I, I looked at moving trucks yesterday. I set up my walkthrough uh, checkout of my apartment that I'm currently in. Um, I emailed the person who sent me the lease for this new place. Like I did all these, like you know, the really annoying. Um, minute things that you have to take care of for a move and um it was a relief to finally get some of that stuff done but it's also like i'm so pumped for this to actually just be here and me to see what ends up coming coming out of this um and it's kind of cool that it's also at the beginning of the year because we get to almost see this entire 2020 and what it's like to to do it in in the same place it's super similar for uh I mean, it's super similar for me. Like, I had that exact or very similar feeling four years ago because I moved. When you move here, it'll basically be four years almost to the exact day that I moved to Chicago. I moved January 30th, 2016. And um, I remember feeling that I was very excited, but I was also, like, scared just because I really had no idea what was about to be in front of me. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's going to be so nice because I, I – one thing I know for sure that's going to benefit me a lot is I am an extroverted person and I do not get that, like that thirst for social interaction while living in Rochester. Cause mm-hmm. I know one person and he's married. He also is a, is a, um, a doctor. So I never see him. Um, and we, we weren't like, we're, we're, we're good, good friends and we like play games online together and stuff, but we haven't ever really been like hangout friends. Mm-hmm. Um, so like being out here in Rochester, if I really wanted to hang out with someone, a lot of times I'd have to drive an hour and a half to, <laughs> to see somebody, uh, or when I was in class, I would see my classmates, but, uh, that's something that I've definitely been missing out on. And it's going to be super nice to, to finally have that part of me, um, back where I get to, to have some social interaction. And then also obviously, uh, creatively, I'm really excited to see what, what comes out this year. I, I told somebody the other day that like, I want at the end of 2020 to feel like I'm hitting writer's block all the time because I've created so much stuff. So I'm, I'm hopeful that that ends up being uh, what 2020 is for me and what my first year in Chicago is. But I guess we'll, uh, we'll have to wait and see. It's exciting. Definitely. Right. I'm excited about it. Good. I'm glad you are. Because if you weren't, I'm not moving to Chicago. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I make that joke with Stephen all the time that I'm. Yeah, it, it gets. It's weird. It's one of those jokes that the more you hear it, the funnier it gets. It's, I know there's not a lot of those jokes, but this is definitely one of them. Exactly. All right. Anything else you want to talk about? I don't know any, anything from a recommendation standpoint that's going on other than the fact that we got this Spotify. I, I got Spotify now, so hopefully I'll find some new music or some, you know, some things I didn't ever expect to listen to because Brandon's really hyped this up. So we'll see. Yeah, I, uh, I, I definitely like Spotify for the, the discovery of new music for sure. So I'm even I'm, I'm excited for us to be able to incorporate that segment where we look at music because we obviously have different music tastes but i'm also just excited for you to be able to like i wonder what it's going to be like because i feel like you're always really late to the party (laughs) discovering bands like oh yeah i just started listening to this band from the 80s they're pretty good (laughs) oh Um, yeah no that that is very true so i it'll be cool to uh, 
I guess I don't know what your Discover Weekly playlist will be, but you listen to to metal stuff, and and I wonder if you're gonna find some new bands that are like actually relevant and modern that you'll be able to maybe even go to see some shows because you said you haven't really gone to many shows and you know you like concerts so maybe this will uh, yeah, help that journey i hope so i had a dream last night or uh, two nights ago uh that brandon and i went to see uh my chemical romance concert and uh let's let's hope that actually happens i think that would be a good time doing that, dude. We're yeah making it. <laughs> we're making it could be happen. nice could be real nice what about you any recommendations um, recommend that you <laughs> drink a lot of water. <laughs> no, let, let, let me think. What, uh, n- 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 no, no, not really. I started I, watching. I, I, I don't think I have anything. I started watching Curtis <laughs> Connor on YouTube. I think that's his name. Um, he went on tour with Drew Gooden and Danny Gonzalez, which are two pretty good YouTubers. But uh, I, yeah, Curtis Connor. So if you guys like people that do like commentary type videos i think he's he's got a a a clever cleverness to him that's pretty funny uh so check him out that would be my one and only recommendation for this week also recommend you subscribe to my channel (laughs) actually i will say so one one comment before we let people go here this was my first at the time of recording this this is like the first of my attempt to do uh step it up and do two youtube videos a week other than just my live streams and it was tough. Um, I don't think it'll always be this tough to do two videos a week. I just have to learn how to best do this. And I'm going to have to make sure that I record multiple videos at one time. But I really, really like the idea of doing one at, one at the mic and then doing a vlog video. Um, it'll be really fun, really, really fun doing vlog videos when um, Brandon is here as well, just because we can just record a lot of our hangouts. Like It'll just be easy material that I can just put together every week. So you can see all behind the scenes. Yeah, I'm excited for that too. Uh, we were just talking about today uh, unlocking all the Super Smash Bros. characters um, mm-hmm. and uh, getting a capture card so that we can turn that into some content, which will be pretty fun. Yeah, yeah <laughs> definitely. Cool. Well, thank you guys so much for listening to the second episode of the 2020 year, the second episode in which we have this uh, much more conversational format. Again, we want to hear your guys' feedback on this. This is still uh, relatively new for us. Uh, typically, we have uh, a script. It's I mean, Our scripts were really just like we'd have certain questions that we already had written out to keep the conversation moving forward. But we've done away with that for now and are just trying this new stuff. Let us know what you think about the movie segment where we saw uh, Brandon Best Steven once again in a competition. <laughs> Steven's pissed. He's so pissed. Uh, next week, hopefully, we'll have a you know whatever segment uh, in addition to uh, possibly the um, music segment where Steven and I talk about some of the the songs that we have for each other. And if you have any uh, questions, thoughts, or comments, you can email us emgpod at gmail You can leave us a voicemail. Call us 513-427-EMG5. Again, that is 513-427-EMG5. As always, you can find us on social media. Podcast is at EMGPod. That's on Twitter and Instagram. Steven is at Steven Russell B on Twitter and Instagram. And I am at Brandon J. Flippin. Uh, Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Take it easy.